All right. Good morning. My name is Glenn, and I am groggy today, um, more than usual, actually, because we spent 24 hours together at the men's advance, and spending 24 hours with you guys made me groggy, so uh, made each other groggy. But um, yeah, I kind of feel like a wrecked uh, VW and a car crusher, and yet I feel like God is he's alive in me. He's making me alive. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, today, I really want to focus in on this whole chapter. Those are beautiful verses that John read, um, but I think that they funnel down to two, set, to two verses, verses 13 and 14. Behold, my servant shall eat, you shall be hungry. My servant shall drink, you shall be thirsty. My servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. My servant shall sing of gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for a breaking of spirit. Like he's uh, just talking about people who are not of his people, that eat pig's flesh, Gentiles. And he's funneling it down to, my servants have great joy, but you, because you're not of me, don't. And so we're going to throw the e-break on, on verses 13 and 14. And I think I've found a New Testament uh, verse that basically says the exact same thing as that. So we are going to kind of spend some time in both of those. But I am going to pray, and I'm going to ask for God's help, because I do need it. So let's pray together. Yeah, Father, I uh, confess my weakness before you. I am groggy and tired, and uh, so I'm asking God for you to send your spirit to put words in my mouth, to fill my mouth with your mind, to help me say what it is that you want me to say. Um, Lord, we not only carry grogginess into here, but our hearts are opposed to you. Our hearts do things that you don't like. Um, They're desperately wicked and filled with deceit, your word says. And to quote Luke Long, it's not you, Lord, it's us. It's not you, it's us. So because you're you and because it's not you, Lord, we come to you and we ask for power, we ask for strength, we ask for living word this morning. I pray, Lord, that people would feel your presence as we're here this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So last week, Donovan preached on part one of serving. He preached out of the last chapter, and it was amazing. There's been a lot of words said to me since Donovan preached last week, but I still remember some of them because they really hit me in the heart. And uh, we're going to uh, quickly look at part of what he had said last week, but I think um, as we're moving past Isaiah 64 into 65, especially with 13 and 14, there's one thing that we need to do is to rethink and redefine servanthood because the Bible talks about servants. You're my servants. And so this morning, if you walk away from here feeling the presence of God within your serving, whether it's here on Sunday morning or out, or that you feel the joy of him putting his hands in your life and creating good works in your life, or that you understand that you are his servants, then that's going to be a win, right? For you to feel that and to know that in your heart. But we live in a culture and in a place that says the exact opposite. It, it defines servanthood is pretty awful. Uh, Urban Dictionary, which is the go-to for any kind of definition, 
says this, a man or a woman who takes orders from another person, that's a servant taking orders, such as cooking, cleaning, and washing, and usually gets paid very little for it, right? Or a person who is required to perform duties for other people. That's how they encompass, that's how they define servanthood, right? And, and all of us sitting here are probably like, yeah, I can relate to that. Like it feels like um, a duty to go and to serve anyone because you have to think about them and be selfless and that type of thing. And we bring that into a, a biblical definition of servanthood. So when we think about serving each other, it brings about like a critical spirit. It brings about frustration. It brings about all of these things that are not in what we just read. It's not the definition of servanthood according to the Bible. So in the Old Testament, my servants will be filled with joy. My servants will eat. My servants will drink. That's celebratory language. My servants' hearts will be glad and rejoice. In the New Testament, I think the Apostle Paul says it the exact same way. But he sa he says, he's saying the same thing, but he says it differently. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand by God that we might walk in them. Right? In Christ Jesus created for good works. We're God's workmanship to do what? To do some stuff which God prepared beforehand. Uh, some of you fight with this. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. In Christ Jesus. What does this mean? In Christ Jesus. You're created, you're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Forgiveness of sins, yes. Redemption, yes. Peace with God, yes. The cross taking away your sins, yes. Your debt has been paid, right? Yes. But the language here is stronger than that workmanship. You're God's workmanship. That's next level to think of that. Workmanship is the, is the Greek word poem. It's the word that we get poem from, right? You're God's poem, literally, in the Greek. That means his masterpiece. You're God's craftsmanship. I looked right at Corey Kraft when I said that. That's funny, Holy Spirit. You are God's masterpiece. You are his poem. You are his work of art. When we look at ourselves this way, we start to begin to understand our incredible value in Christ. And to quote C.S. Lewis, who's the grandfather of this church, we are a divine work of art, right? A divine work work of art. We're God's poem. We're God's song. We're his lyric. We're his expression. In those that know Jesus, that we do works that he prepared before the foundation of the world so we can walk in them to express his workmanship in us. We imitate him. He expressed workmanship in us. We do good works to express his workmanship in us. We imitate him. We co-appreciate him. Well, why would I say this Again, moving back toward Donovan's sermon last week in Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. This is the definition of servanthood. This is the definition of a servant is the work of God's hand, according to the prophet Isaiah. We call that Isaiah-Nean theology. So there's Moses, he had some stuff. We call it Mosaic, John, Johannian. 
This is Isaiah Nian. I don't know. This is me trying to prep a sermon. But all this to say that Jesus, your life, your personality, your thoughts, your everything, your personhood has on it the fingerprints of God. This is what workmanship is. You are the pot. He is, you're the clay. He's the one forming the pot out of that clay. It's his hand that's forming your edges. His hand that's rounding things out in your life. It's his hand that is forming your shape. He is making you how he wants you to look and act and move. You're his expression. You're his poem. You're his lyric. You're his song. You're his artwork. You're his design. Now, I have, in the recent past, made some stuff out of wood and, um, and that type of thing called woodworking, right? <laughs> and like when I look at that, I have a special relationship to a chessboard, to a table, to some handrails, to some charcuterie boards. I have a special relationship because I had a vision. I thought of it. I wrote it down. Then I looked at the wood, and I started to place the wood in the order that I wanted it to go in, and then I rounded off some edges, then I smoothed out some stuff, and I made curves here and there, right? I have a special relationship to that. Now, imagine if those things could talk and tell other things about how I created it, right? This is what workmanship is. We express God's workmanship on us. Do you know that what it means that you are God's workmanship? This is Tim Keller who's like the crazy uncle of our church. What is art? <laughs> art is beautiful. It's valuable. Art is an expression of the inner being of the maker. This is you. Imagine what that means, that you're beautiful, you're valuable, you're an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist himself, God himself. When Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, I'm coming to die just so you know that I love you. I'm going to die. I'm going to bleed for your splendor. I'm going to recreate you into something beautiful. I will turn you into something splendid, magnificent. I'm the artist. You're the art. I'm the painter. You're the canvas. I'm the sculptor. You're the marble. You don't look like much there in the quarry. But I can see, oh, I can see, Jesus is an artist, and you, beloved, are his crowning achievement, his masterpiece. This is God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, this applies to you in a lot different way. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you follow him, you move with him, you worship him, you've surrendered to him, you are God's masterpiece his song, his lyric. To put it in human terms, it's an identity of ownership. He made you. He has a special relationship to you. Sonship, daughtership, God's love on you. It's all the beginning of servanthood, God's workmanship on you. Identity first, then walk in works that were prepared beforehand. So, I'll return to this thing. Some of us really fight against the fact that we have works that we need to do because we're in Christ Jesus. And I can hear what you're thinking. Like, I don't want to get caught up in legalism and, and doing stuff, okay? I get that, but it literally says that you are created to do some works. 
So wrestle with him in that. The reason it becomes legalism is because we start to screw up the order. We think, okay, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so then what we say is, I'm going to do good works to prove that God loves me. No, 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 no. Don't fall into that. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. That's proof. Or we say, I'm going to do works um, uh, to, to somehow um, gain God's love. That's a really tricky one. No, it's you are loved. You are God's workmanship. It's his hands that are on you, his forming that's on you. You go and do good works to show God's love for you, to show off his workmanship. This is a long way from a man or a woman who takes orders from another person, such as cooking, cleaning, and washing, and usually gets paid very little for it. Praise God. Okay? Now, I said in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means there's an outside of Christ Jesus. We need to talk about that, and I think that's what he's talking about very, very clearly in Isaiah 65 in those two verses, 13 and 14. My servants shall eat. My servants shall drink. My servants shall rejoice. My servants shall sing for gladness of heart. But you're going to be hungry. You're going to be thirsty. You will be put to shame. You will cry out for pain of heart and shall wail because of breaking of spirit. Okay, so Isaiah is talking about people who are not my servants, right? And this is where I want to bring you in close to the gospel. See, Isaiah is talking about people that are not my servants. The context is those that are Gentiles. They're against God, right? He, he, they do things, and it's like, I love that vision of smoke in his nostrils. Like, have you ever had that? Like, somebody either blows cigarette smoke in your, in your nostrils, and you're like, kind of blown back and it gets in your eyes and it makes you tear up or if somebody throws plastic into the fire pit it's just like this is nasty there's something about gentiles about people that are outside of the salvation of god that he pulls back from and it's because his wrath is on them it's because they are not of his servanthood that's why when you look at jesus why it becomes so powerful because in jesus it's not nasty to him. It's a beautiful, fragrant offering. So this passage, generally, those that are hungry, thirsty, shame-filled, pain of heart, breaking of spirit, are those that are not Christians. Those who have not yet received in themselves the work that Christ did on the cross for our splendor. Right? So if you're here today and you have not put your faith into Jesus, I, I will pray with you. I'd be willing to pray with you and talk through that with you at the end of the service because that's the thing that puts you into this category of my servants. And with that comes eating, drinking, celebration, rejoicing, gladness of heart, right? But there are also, and I think there's another category of Christians, people who are believers but have forgotten that they're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So many feel tired, uh, disillusioned when serving confused, bored. They don't want to be here. Critical, exacting, forcing their will onto other people when they're, when they're serving. They complain bitterly when they serve. 
finding everything wrong with the ministry or with the people that they're serving with. I'm not just talking about you. I am talking about myself, right? We forget that we are God's workmanship. We forget that he's the one who has formed us in Christ Jesus. And I've heard people explain to me, I'm like, hey, man, how's your ministry going? I'm expecting them to you know, retell the story about God's goodness. And they're like, well, we're just trying to be faithful here. And it's like utterly devoid of any joy. Like they're hungry, they're thirsty, there's pain in their heart, right? I don't want to downplay that, downplay that, but what I want to do is get to the root of why that is there. So let me ask you a question. Who do you want to notice when you serve? Like whose mind is it that comes to your mind that you're like, man, I wish that they would see me serving, doing this thing, the thing that nobody else wants to do and I'm doing it. I'm looking around for an audience. Who's in that audience? Who's the most important person to hear your thoughts when you serve? Is it the leader of the the thing? Is it somebody that you're working with? Is it your spouse? Is it your group? Do you want Donovan to notice when you're serving? People of this church? Do you want your kids? Do you want to see your own self serving? Or is it God? Are you celebrating the workmanship that he has done in you. Jesus, I don't know where the line is with people that are not believers and people that are believers that have just forgotten, but either way, they're serving without Jesus as the center of the motivation as to why they're there. And the Bible, I'll just give you two examples. Jesus says, because, or no, no, sorry, Isaiah says, The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, their spirit is broken, right? Their heart's in pain, they hunger, they thirst. When we serve, we do it within the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll get more to that because that's how Jesus served. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God itself. And these people are drawing near with their mouth and their lips, but their hearts are far from the presence of God. We'll talk about that. Jesus follows it up in the New Testament with this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, like serving in the name of Jesus? And then Jesus says, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So again, I don't know where the line is. Is, is that a believer who's, who's like forgotten or is that just not a believer in Jesus? It doesn't matter. In Christ Jesus You are God's workmanship. So if you're not feeling it, run to Jesus. Go to him. Ask him, Lord, give me uh, the ability to see your hands on me, to see your beauty, to see your inner self, to see the lyric that you want me to be. And And let the rest of it just fade away because that is knowing Jesus when you go to him and ask him to help me. That's why I prayed for the presence of God this morning. See, workmanship is being loved by God. And 1 Corinthians 8 says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Right? So in Christ Jesus, you are known. 
so that it doesn't apply to you, I never knew you, depart from me because I never knew you. If you're in Christ Jesus, he knows. He knows you. So sometimes we just forget that we're Christ's workmanship. And I think one of the ways that we can, it shows that we've forgotten about the fact that we are Christ's workmanship is when we start to give a biography about Jesus instead of a testimony about him. So biography is like, well, um, yeah, I guess Jesus lived historically and he was around and, and um, yeah, he changed some water into wine and he did some miracles and he preached the gospel and that's a, it's a biography and we get that, we understand that and that's important, but we want testimony. Moving from biography to testimony. Testimony is, I have seen Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is how he made me his poem. This is how he has given me works to walk in, designed to express him. It leaves you full. It leaves your thirsts quenched. It gives you joy. It gives you rejoicing. It gives you gladness of heart. Right? My servants. It's ownership there. Ownership. I think women understand this. When God calls them my servants, he, he says they're, they're mine. And the reason I think women understand this is, have you ever seen like a, a, a woman with her kids around some creepy dude? Like literally, the, there's claws that come out. Like I don't know where they come from. They grow. And they become like a mama bear. And they're like going to protect their cubs, right? At the, why? The base of it is, that kid is mine. You're not going to go near that kid unless you trample over my dead body, right? That's the type of ownership that God has. Do you, do you feel that from God? You're my workmanship. Protect you. I'll take care of you. You're my workmanship. Men understand this too. It's a little bit different. You ever seen a dad save like a little toddler's like toddling off the end of the couch and right before their face smashes the concrete, dad swoops in and catches them and turns it into like a fun carnival ride for just a second. It's, it's the same. It's protection. It's movement. This kid is mine. I'm not going to let their face hit the floor. Do you hear God saying that you're my servant? My servant. Well, why being in Christ is that important? Because Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. Jesus completely and perfectly served his Father. How? Through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led by, he was filled by, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're, we'll talk about that. Many of you have Upon hearing this, you're going to push back a little bit. You're like, oh, Jesus was and is deity, so he doesn't need deity. He doesn't need anything to serve God perfectly. And that's true. And yet, Jesus living by the Holy Spirit is a powerful picture of this inner Trinitarian delight where he submits himself to the second person of the, or the third person of the Holy Trinity. That delight that's been going on since before the foundation of the world, Jesus lived that out. We can talk about this more after, if you want. What are you doing this afternoon? We can talk about this. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Luke 1. 
There's a special relationship to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Baby daddy's probably not appropriate, but Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived his life with the Holy Spirit on him, Matthew 4. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, perfectly, continually. Jesus was led by the Spirit, Matthew 4.1. Jesus was led by the Spirit. I'm just reading scripture. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? He was led by the, by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are, are planners, right? God's gifted you to plan. You're, or you think organizationally and clearly and, and all of that. But sometimes what comes with that is a modicum of control, right? Uh, we forget that um, we were created... Uh, in Christ Jesus, we are God's workmanship, created for good works, which who prepared beforehand? God prepared beforehand. Not you, right? God's the planner, not you. You're to walk in the works that have been prepared beforehand by him, right? Jesus taught us that unsurrendered plans might bring us some pain of heart. But the thing of it is, is when we see that we are God's workmanship, when we feel his hands on our lives, forming us, shaping us, rounding us, helping us, being an expression of his inner uh, delight, then we, we're like, oh, it doesn't matter that it's his plans. I want to express them. I want to move toward those. Luke 4.14, 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. Jesus served by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the ability to serve perfectly, but Jesus does, and he did. Luke 4, 14. Sometimes he serves perfectly in spite of us, right? But he didn't do it for God. He did it through the power of God to express God to us. This is why we need to properly separate that love, God's love is not contingent upon our works. We are who we are because of Jesus. Let's express that to everyone else. Luke 4, 16 through 18, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and he, and he read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, whom we're in, was given to him, he unrolled that scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of the sight of blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus lived by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus telling us how he lived his life, by what power. And he's quoting Isaiah and here, anointing simply means that God is setting Jesus apart to do what? To express his inner being, to express his heart, to serve biblically. And with that service which God prepared beforehand comes the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus could celebrate, eat, drink, rejoice, sing, have gladness of heart because of the presence of the Holy Spirit on him. Servanthood is just expressing the presence of God on you. That's what Jesus did. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus was raised from the dead by the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit raised him, whispered into the dark, Jesus, get up. Jesus, come forth. And here's the beauty. Jesus said that you can have the same spirit that he did. Okay? You and I. I will ask the Father, he says, and I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. This is an inner expression of the inner expression of God inside of us. We have the same spirit that Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit is the mark of God's love. It's the mark of his power. It's the mark of his expression and his identity in Jesus. The Spirit is the mark, not works. Okay? It's not your ability to do good or not to do good. That's not what causes you to become God's workmanship. It's Jesus that causes you to become God's workmanship. It's Jesus who causes you to become loved. It's Jesus who causes you to become formed in the way that God wants you to be formed. It's Jesus who causes that. And then we do works to express that. Yes, we do works, but his love is not contingent on those works. Let me ask you this. Do you think that God only loves you when you do good works? Be honest with him. Do you think God loves you more when you do good works? You're not his craftsmanship. You're not his workmanship because of your works. Stop it. Do you fear that God will only give gifts to you or show his love for you if you do good works? That sounds hungry to me. It sounds thirsty. It sounds shamey, painful, and broken. And I got some verses that say the exact opposite, but I also know, I stand before you, I have the root inside of here that wrestles with that. So the purpose of good works is to express openly what God is showing us. We have the mind of, of Christ to see the presence of God in them. This blew my mind. Dr. William Houghton, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and there was a building named after this cat. He was a pastor at the Calvary Baptist Church in New York City, later served as president of Moody Bible Institute. When Dr. Houghton, get this, became the pastor of the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta, a man in Atlanta hired a private detective to follow him around and report on his conduct before they offered him the job. After a few weeks, the detective was able to report to the man that Dr. Houghton's life matched his preaching. And as a result of Houghton's faithful life as God's poema, that man, that detective, became a Christian. I quoted that from Precepts in Austin, and I thought, oh my gosh, if you guys sent a private detective to follow me around, like, I don't know that it would look the same. <laughs> um, like, literally, uh, we were playing White as Snow, and Eric was up here, and he was duck it, duck it, duck it with the electric guitar, and I literally wanted to have a cigar and a, and a brandy and wear sunglasses. I have no idea why, other than sin. Um, I think if a, if a private detective were to follow me around, he would find that I spent an inordinate amount of time believing that God only loves him if he was different than he is now, right? Um, he would probably ask, what's his fascination with trucks? 
He would probably say things like, well, it might serve him well to just buy stock in Acme Tools instead of going and spending all of his money at the local store. Um, but he might see this. You know, he prays for people that he doesn't know at stores like Target and the mall. He cries a lot since he started desiring the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. See, guys, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Um, just really quickly, like, God has put on my heart a desire to serve him in this way, to, to pray for people that don't know Jesus so that they might be healed, and then I can talk about Jesus with them. That's just something that God gave me that desire. Do you realize how crazy that sounds? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, this desire came from him, and every time I do it, I get more of that desire. He's forming me. He's changing me. He has an inner expression somewhere in the cosmos in his mind of how he wants me to look, and he's moving things in my life so that I'll look more like that. Make this personal. Say to yourself, I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Say that to yourself. Say, I am loved regardless of what I do or don't do. Say that to yourself. Say that I receive this truth that I was created in, in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that I might walk in them. Say that I am created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared those, that it's his will that I'm doing that I should walk in them. Say that over yourself so that you might eat and drink and that re you might rejoice and have gladness of heart to sing, to celebrate, to eat. Um, most of my serving illustrations have to do with that praying for healing thing that I just talked to you about. And you may be like, oh, Glenn, you're just so filled with courage to do that. No, I stand before you filled with fear to do that. Um, but one of the things that has been really, really helpful is um, well, let me just do it by illustration. So imagine you have a migraine, like a bad headache, and like you can't even hear things because you're so overly sensitive because of this migraine. You can't see things because of this migraine. Like everything's a little bit out of focus because the blood vessels in your head have swollen and it's just causing great pain. And you try and go for a walk to try and walk this thing off. And you don't want to take the medicine because the medicine's going to knock you out and you're going to have to be in a dark room for like a day and a half. And you just want this migraine to go away. So you're out at this park, right? And you're walking. You're kind of hobbling. You're kind of like the sun's super bright. Now imagine someone who is the workmanship of Christ Jesus who's walking toward you. And this person, uh, God is saying to express to them uh, here, I'm going to form you in such a way that you're going to pray for people and they're going to get healed and that God put that on your heart. Now, imagine like you get face-to-face -face the migraine sufferer and the one who is being formed by God. Now, let me ask you from the perspective of the person of the, who has the migraine, do you think they really care that you're not going to say things quite right? That, that you have fear of looking foolish in front of them? Do you think that they care at all about that? Or do they just want to see you live within how God is forming you to express his love 
for you and to move toward you and ask God to pray for you and take away this thing, this migraine, right? These, these, it's moving across this line of fear because of love, because of compassion. That's how you go from fear to action is that you start to have compassion for them because God has compassion for people who don't know Jesus and he's forming us. He's forming you to go and be that person to express what God's love is for those that don't know Jesus. These works, they're ready, they're waiting for us. All we have to do is be willing to be led into them. Led into them. So God has planned that I would have compassion on people. I'm 50 this year. Just starting out in this. Like, these are things that were planned beforehand. I didn't plan this. I would have planned this at 20 when I had a little bit more energy and less fear or whatever. I don't know. I'm 50. No, this is God's plan from beforehand that I might walk in these things. He's forming me. He's pushing new edges in. He's rounding corners. His hands are on me. He's encouraging and forming. God knows what we are fitted for far better than we know. And he knows when we need to have those edges taken off. He knows when we need to be formed. He, knows, he who made us knows what we're made of. And he's not going to put square pegs into round holes. It would be useful in Christ's service for our wisdom to have no plan except to enter into his plan for us and imitate Paul who said, Lord, what do you want me to do? To which Jesus replied, Arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. So again, if you walk away from here this morning feeling his presence, feeling his forming of your life, that it's his hands that are on your life, you understand that you are his servants, then this is going to be a win. Uh, Band, why don't you come up? We're going to respond to this. And the way that I want for us to respond to this Uh, First of all, we're going to take communion. That's going to be our first response. But I want for us to think about a very specific thing when we're taking communion. So we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. So when we take communion, the bread and the cup, what we are doing is we're celebrating Christ Jesus' work on us, that we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. So when you're taking communion, my prayer is that you get it that you understand that God's workmanship is on you, that this is his hands on you. Then what I want for you to do is lead your family in prayer. Like, I don't know what this looks like, but I want to open us up as a family to God's plan, to his work, to his expression of his inner being in our lives. Right? Some of you might do it. Some of you may be too scared. I'm going to pray against fear right now. Let me pray. I do pray against fear. I do pray in the name of Jesus that that would not be a part of this. That, Lord, when we take communion, we would see you, Lord Jesus. We would see your hands forming us. We would see your workmanship on us. 
we would recognize that we are loved outside of our works. We would recognize, Lord, that you want us to express that love that you've put on us. So, Lord, lead each head of household here. Teach them what to say right now. Help them to go past the fear. Help them to move past, I don't know what this is going to look like, to trust in you and your plans from beforehand. In the name of Jesus, I pray through the power of the Spirit. Amen.